You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Beaverton Christian Church in Beaverton, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at beaverton.cc or send us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Well, hey, it's so good to see you, and thanks for joining us for worship at Beaverton Christian Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Marty. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are finishing up our Entrusted November series. And if you've been with us or you're new or just joining us uh, to get us all caught up in this series, we've looked at the precious resources that God has entrusted to us, the things he's endowed, he's gifted to us, and specifically when it comes to our time, our talent, and our treasure. And what we've seen is that God has invested, he's entrusted these things to us, uh, and he invites us to invest them and leverage them for his purposes. And when we do, the kingdom of God, all that God is and all that he provides becomes visible and accessible to our community, to our friends, to our family, and to the world around us. And today, we're gonna look at the special responsibility that God has entrusted to us to participate with God in his work to mend and heal a world that's been broken by sin. And this partnership that we've been entrusted with, it begins with us receiving the healing and the comfort that Jesus has for us and then being willing to extend it out to one another. And when we do, we all get to experience the hope, the joy, and the freedom that comes on the other side of the pain that we're experiencing. Now, something I've always loved and been impressed with is children's authors' ability to communicate a story that's both simple and profound. And not every kid's book is like this. There's plenty of kid's books that are just simple and they're entertaining and they're a fun read, but there's not really any deeper meaning attached to them. Like one of my favorite children's stories growing up that I loved reading to my own kids uh, is the monster at the end of this book. Anyone remember this one? It's great. It's super fun read. If you're not familiar, the premise is really simple. Uh, Grover, the narrator, is desperately trying to get you to stop reading the book and to stop turning pages because there's a monster at the end of the book. And every time you turn a page, you're just getting one page closer to encountering that monster. So poor Grover, he's begging you to stop. And then there's this shocking jarring twist that you just don't see coming, that when you get to the end of the book, come to find out the monster at the end of the book is none of other than Grover himself, ladies and gentlemen. You didn't see it coming. And it's a really fun story. There's not really a meaning. If you were really searching, maybe you could say the book invites uh, exploration and self-discovery as to why you're not listening to Grover. Like, what's going on with that? Let's explore that. But for the most part, it's just fun. There's other kids' books that are told simply, but they also have this profound meaning behind it. It's the kind of book that you just hope everyone reads and we all internalize and apply so that the world can become a better place. And one of those kids' books is called The All Better Book. Uh, This one's a little more recent and I got to read it to my kids and we enjoyed it. And what's so fun about it is it's this interactive book that comes with these little band-aids these little adhesive Band-Aids that your kids have. And the reason why it's important for them to have those Band-Aids 
is because all throughout the book, these adorable animals are getting beat up. Like they're having a terrible day. The the sheep uh, decides to jump over a bush and scratches its belly. The dog's not watching where he's going and he just wanders right off a ledge. Uh, The bear wants to rest. He's tired and so he sits down on a log and sure enough, the sharp end of the log pokes him in the butt. Like they're all falling apart. And there's this beautiful moment when you're sitting with your kids and we all know kids, they naturally have this compassion. Like when they see someone hurting, they feel it and they want to do something about it. And so they're watching these animals get beat up and there's a moment where they realize, oh, I wish there was something I could do to make it all better. Oh, wait, there is. I've been given this Band-Aid and then they put the Band-Aid on the animal to make it all better. And as you continue to read the story, All the animals, as they receive comfort from you, the reader, they begin comforting one another. By the end of the book, all of the animals know how to participate in making it all better. As ones who know what it feels like to be in pain and to be comforted in your pain, they then extend it to one another. And that is profound. That is beautiful. And it's actually something that we see repeated all throughout scripture. See, all throughout scripture, we read that God is the one who meets us in our pain. Because of sin, we live in a world that is broken. Sin, it's a form of pride and greed. It hurts our relationship with God. It hurts our relationship with others. It shows up in anger and malice and jealousy and strife and envy and bitterness and violence. And because of sin, we all at times experience pain, suffering, some of us severe trauma. And all throughout scripture, it points to this savior, this rescuer, this redeemer who will come and identify with us, living as one of us, identifying with us in our suffering and then triumphing over it through his death and resurrection on the cross so we can find joy, we can find hope, we can move towards freedom that's waiting on the other side of pain. And all of scripture really points to this, whether it's you're in the Old Testament and it's looking ahead or you're looking at the life of Jesus and Jesus is saying, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. Or you're reading in the New Testament about this future day that will come where Jesus will come back and restore and make everything right. And we could look at a number of passages. We're gonna look at a few today. But there's one passage in the Old Testament that highlights this beautifully and it's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And to sort of set the context of what's happening in this passage, Isaiah lived during the 8th century BCE, and he lived at a time when the Assyrian Empire were growing. They were expanding. And the way that the Assyrians expanded was through dominance, through brutal warfare, mass executions, deportations, psychological warfare, devastating the surrounding regions so that they could expand their influence. And it's at that time that the Lord shows up to Isaiah and speaks to him in a vision. And he lets Isaiah know that the Assyrians, the ones who are expanding their influence in the surrounding regions through brutal warfare and dominance, they're headed to Israel and Judah. And things are going to get a lot worse. But in the midst of that, 
God will be with them. He will meet them in the midst of what they're going through while also pointing to the savior, the rescuer, the redeemer who will one day arrive. And so with that context, let's read Isaiah. We're gonna look at chapter 61, starting in verse one. It says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and the release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Now in this passage, God shows up to Isaiah and says, this is who I am and this is what I do. In the midst of what you're experiencing, the unbearable pain, the uncertainty of the future, the circumstances that are beyond your control, I am the one who comforts. I comfort those who mourn. I I take things that have been devastated for years, for generations, the things that you've lost, you've given up hope on, you've thought there'd never be any recovery, there'd never be any way to move forward, and yet I rebuild, I renew, I restore. When people feel trapped in darkness and in despair or in captivity, I bring freedom. When life, we find ourselves sitting in ashes, he brings beauty. And when we mourn, he brings joy. God is saying, I am the one who moves you. In the midst of your pain, I move you to see beyond your pain, to see hope, to see joy, and to move you towards experiencing freedom. This is who our God is. This is what he does. And not only that, fast forward now, 600 years or so later, and now not the Assyrian Empire in the background in the context, but the Roman Empire. And now Jesus steps onto the scene, the rescuer, the savior, the Messiah. And there we're told Jesus, as he's beginning his public ministry, he walks into a synagogue, he's handed a scroll, and he finds this exact place that we just read from the prophet Isaiah. And he reads it. We, we read about this in Luke chapter four. It says this. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, this is Jesus, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is who God is. He mends, he restores, he rebuilds so we can see hope, joy, and freedom. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. He reads this and what does he say? Today, this scripture is fulfilled. I am the one who does this. I am the one who rebuilds. I am the one who renews. I'm the one who restores. I'm the one who brings freedom and joy and liberty. I'm right here in your midst today. This is why I'm here and I am available. This is who Jesus is. So if you're here today and you're just getting to know Jesus, welcome, we're so glad you're here. It's our hope and our vision that you would be inspired to know, love, and follow Jesus because Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who renews. Jesus is the one who restores. And when we can't see beyond the pain that we've experienced and we continue to encounter a world that's been broken and marred and severed by sin, Jesus shows up to move us towards joy when we didn't feel like joy was possible, when we were mourning, sitting in ashes. He leads us towards freedom when we were sitting in captivity and darkness. He leads us towards freedom when we were bound. This is who Jesus is. And so you can put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus. The way he accomplished this is through his life. Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross and three days later, he rose from the dead to triumph over sin and over death. And when we put our hope and our faith in him, he renews us, he makes us new and he leads us on a new path. And then Christians, those of us who know love and are following Jesus, we now get to participate in this. This is what we've been entrusted with. Not only is this who God is and who Jesus is, this is how we participate in how God is moving and working to bring healing and renewal to people. We get to be part of the process. As we receive Jesus' healing for us, together in meaningful relationship with each other, in community, we find joy, we find hope. Then as people who know what it feels like to be comforted in our pain, to receive the kindness, the compassion of Jesus, to be moved towards renewal. We know what that feels like. And now we extend that same comfort to others so that everyone can find that hope and joy and freedom. I love the way that the Apostle Paul puts this. He summarizes it so well in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Who does what? What does God do? He comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. This is what we've been entrusted with, to share in this together to together receive comfort from Christ in our many troubles that we face. 
and then to extend it to others. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in our time of need. And when God helps us in our need, we then have the great responsibility to share it with others. Now, just like the All Better book, when you're a parent and you're reading with your kids and you see the severity of what these poor animals have been through and you put a Band-Aid on it, we know that a Band-Aid doesn't provide the immediate healing. It doesn't mean everything is gonna go away immediately. There is a process, there is a journey. And while God meets us, we also look forward while we're moving towards healing, while we're moving towards wholeness, we know that there is a day coming when that will be full and complete. And the book of Revelation gives us a beautiful picture of this day that we all look forward to. Revelation 21 says, there will be a day when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That is the hope that we move towards. While we begin to move towards healing and we're experiencing Jesus' comfort, we experience his compassion together, we also look forward to a day when all things will be made new. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more crying. This is what we have been entrusted with as we look forward to the great hope of Jesus Christ in his return. Now with that, not only have we been entrusted with this responsibility, but we've also been entrusted with relationship with people and with ministry organizations who have been uniquely equipped and uniquely gifted and uniquely skilled to help people walk through pain and severe trauma. Like I am a, I am a pastor, I have theological training, I am a chaplain with some clinical training, but I am limited in how I can walk through trauma with people. And so I'm very grateful that there are people in the body of Christ who have been trained and who have been equipped and who have experience and who train teams to specifically help people who are experiencing severe trauma walk through their pain. And that's why today we are really excited and uh, encouraged to be able to introduce you to a ministry that many of you uh, may already be familiar with. It's a ministry partnership that we've benefited from, we've, we've learned from, we've grown alongside for years, and they are Mending the Soul. And Mending the Soul, they help people find hope and find joy and find freedom on the other side of trauma. They provide trauma care to those who need it the most, and they provide it in Jesus' name. And we're super blessed to partner with them. We want to introduce you to their founders today, Steve and Celestia. Uh, and before we do, as they get ready to come out and share about Mending the Soul and the work that they're doing, not only here in the States, but also all over the world and specifically in the Congo, um, we want to introduce you to the ministry. So if you would direct your attentions to the screen, this is Mending the Soul. Violence, abuse, and trauma, they infiltrate places where we seek safety, 
in marriage, in friendship, in schools and in churches. They devastate individuals and communities, distorting one's self-image and one's image of God. In a nation reeling from civil war like Congo, the effects are amplified a thousandfold. Mending the soul provides a roadmap for recovery, gently restoring mad images of God, self, and others, helping to rebuild trust and wholeness. By offering healing to embedded leaders within communities who are seeking abuse and trauma-specific resources, Mending the Soul plants the seed of healing at the heart of an organization. Leaders then use what they have learned from their own journeys to help facilitate recovery among those within their communities suffering the effects of trauma and abuse. Mending the Soul was invited to the Democratic Republic of Congo. From 2007 to the present, we have helped train and resource thousands of Congolese leaders who serve hundreds of thousands of individuals living in some of the most traumatized communities in the world. It's, it's pretty awesome that uh, we get to have Steve and Celestia. Thank you for being here today. Um, it's uh, amazing the work that they're doing in Congo, but many of you may have, a, have actually participated in some of the work that they've done here in the Beaverton area. So maybe we just start, Celestia, like tell me a little bit about Mending the Soul, and I know you guys have a specific way that you address kind of trauma care. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Definitely. First of all, thank you for having us. It's an honor to be sharing about Mending the Soul in our churches. We're a part of Hope City, and um, we just are incredibly thankful for a church that cares about brothers and sisters in a place like the Congo. And that place is invisible to everybody else, but we see them, and we hear their cries, and we respond to them. So thank you. Um, Many of the Soul was birthed really in my office. I was trained in a traditional model of mental health care, which is we take all of our wounds and our pain and we go outside of our church community to a counselor's office and do our work there and then come back with our shiniest, best self. And that was the model. We have a background pastorally. I have a clinician, had a clinic in a big shiny city like Phoenix, and Steve, a theologian and professor. So it was all traditional for us. And I began to be changed by the survivors I was listening to, these, these faith leaders that had come in and had lost their marriage, lost their children, sometimes lost their church. And almost every time, the etiology of that was abuse and childhood pain that had never been properly disclosed, addressed, and treated. And God began to change us. And it was Isaiah 61, one through four, that Marty preached on so beautifully just now that was our scripture. It became our what, when, where, and how. And we saw that actually God's way is we heal each other in community with each other. And so Steve and I, with a team of leaders, God gave us the model of mending the soul. 
and it's a holistic, integrated model of care, not just for any kind of trauma or abuse. And it integrates social science on the effects of abuse because nobody naturally will understand those. Shame, powerlessness, isolation, depression, anxiety, addiction. We don't get that. So many of the soul educates from the scriptures, which is our source of truth, and social science on those effects. And then scripture becomes our truth our truth about how we heal, our truth about who we're created to be, our truth about what we are to do with our stories. And um, we are talking about stewardship in this month. And so Many in the Soul helps people steward their real story that does include the hard stuff. And we do that healing in community with each other. So that's amazing. So you were doing this in Phoenix and you were seeing some success in healing, providing hope and healing to these leaders in in Phoenix. Then how did you get to the Congo? That's a good question. I know. How many of you know where the Democratic Republic of the Congo is on the map? A few of you. Well, we didn't either. Les and I had spent decades, me as a seminary professor and author and Slusta as a trauma counselor, working with survivors, but for the most part had been here in our community at that time, Phoenix. Uh, I was the vice president of Phoenix Seminary at the time and hiring faculty, and I heard about a visiting prof from the Congo, uh, had all the academic credentials, so I hired him to do a few adjunct classes for us. So we had him into our home, and Celesta was sharing about our our heart for the abused, uh, especially women and children that we were working with, she was working with in Phoenix, and Celesta, being so compassionate, got pretty emotional about some of those survivors. And we looked over at David in our living room, Dr. David Casali, and his shirt was wet with his tears. And he looked at us and he said, Stephen Celesta, if you care so much about the trauma survivors in your community of Phoenix, you have to come to our country. You have to come to Congo. You've never seen trauma like in my country. And we didn't really know what that meant. And two years later, we were able to get in. And did, they said the first trainings of its kind, uh, to their knowledge, and in the history of that whole region. And he's right. We had never seen the levels of trauma that we saw. We'd never seen the, the, the devastating evil that we saw. And we'd never seen the faith and faithfulness that we saw. Congo is the second largest country in Africa, a population of over 100 million. You actually, just about everyone here has pieces of Congo in your pocket or purse. You just don't know it. Congo is one of the richest countries in the world in terms of natural resources. All of our cell phones have uh, some rare minerals from the Congo. And actually their material wealth has made them one of the poorest countries in the world because everyone wants a piece of the riches, kind of how it works. So in the last 27 years, 28 years, 
uh, an estimated 12 million plus people have died in the Congo of conflict-related deaths. That's more than any country since World War II. That's more than the population of Oregon, Washington, Wyoming, Montana, all put together. I mean, can you imagine the entire population of the Northwest being eliminated in, in two decades? That, that's the reality in the Congo. Uh, it's been called the rape epicenter of the world. Much of what we see in here, we don't really talk about in detail because don't, we don't want to traumatize you, but it's, it's excruciatingly painful and evil, and God is at work in the midst of it because our God is a healer and a redeemer. So when we saw the needs and we saw the faithfulness of the people we trained, uh, we just said, we'll do this till the Lord takes us home. This, the needs are so great and the opportunities are equally great. So Congo is in our hearts and it's at the, really the heart of many in the soul. We still work domestically, um, but it gets back to entrustment. Uh, we've been given resources that are so needed. So it's been an incredible joy. That's so great. Well, I know, I remember we were talking a little bit earlier and you said 100% of the people in the Congo have experienced trauma, which is I, un, almost unfathomable. So, and I know you've been there like 17 years or so. How has the model worked? Like, how is it working? How's it going? Well, humanly, and even in my traditional mental health counseling, we would say there is no hope for healing for people who are never physically safe. And they aren't because war goes on and on and on. Abuse and trauma is held in our bodies until somebody comes along and through the scriptures and through a healing path helps us heal. So the abuse and trauma gets acted out on the next generation and the next generation. So when we went to Mending the Soul, we told Dr. Kasali, who is at the Christian University there that he had just built, it won't work. The model won't work in Congo. And he said, no, it will. It's scripture that guides this path of healing and it's social science research on the effects of trauma. My people need it desperately. I need it desperately. We're all traumatized come. And so we trusted God's invitation and appointment and we went and these leaders that we trained we trained 129 leaders back in 2007 the first training and it blew our minds what we heard it was so tragic um faith leaders who had never been educated heard for the first time teaching on the effects of abuse and trauma and they recognized how they were abusing each other how men were abusing others and not even knowing it they came up publicly confessed those sins of abuse to each other our whole team sat on the front row weeping. It was so beautiful. And they made 10 proclamations to their wives and the women in their churches of the changes that they would make. A year later, we came back and every single one of those leaders had taken the model of mending the soul and turned it into counseling clinics and DV domestic violence shelters. They had gone into the Ebola um, 
places where the UN had even pulled out and they took Mending the Soul into the clinics to bring the good news. I mean, what Jesus says in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, the good news of their God's commitment that he was there in the suffering and he's there to help them heal and not only heal, but redeem. It's hard to believe, but this last year, 2023 alone, 400,000 people have received free trauma care in Jesus' name in Uganda and the Congo. And it just blows our mind, right? That's amazing. And the story I think that says it best is the story of Mama Sylvie. She was one of our first Congo directors in the area that the Triangle of Death, it is called, Butimbo. And she had trained many different trauma training teams under her who were equipped with many of the soul to bring it to counsel, to be on the radio, in the clinics, taking it into even rebel camps. She was a force to be reckoned with. And in February, the last weekend of February in 2022, we got word of her death. She was assassinated on her way home from a trauma training. It was like a kick in the gut of all of the angels in Congo. It was her. And many of the soul leaders are a threat to the evil ones that are in the Congo. And um, we were concerned because that kind of loss connected to many in the soul, what that would do with the trust that the people, the leaders had, the churches had for many in the soul. But God was in that loss and used all of that to strengthen the churches in that region. And the picture that you see behind us is a picture of Mama Sylvie's funeral, her memorial service. The man in the middle of that picture is Casitro, her husband. And he had four children. He had lost his wife in such a horrific way. And that morning he got up, he put on her Mending the Soul shirt, he went to that memorial service with this banner and he said and declared with all of the people that Mama Sylvia trained, we will finish the work that Mama Sylvie has begun here in Butimbo and they have. And the picture of Moses is a professionally trained attorney who the trainers selected to step into Mama Sylvie's shoes. And his name is Moses, and he is a beautiful leader, and he is running and directing the office that you as a church and our church will be sponsoring. Yeah, I know that over the next three years, our family of churches has committed to helping Moses and his community, you know, extend the the length of mending the soul to heal and and comfort those who've experienced that. Um, Wow, what an incredible story. So maybe we wrap up with a final question. Um, Like, what would you want somebody listening today to, you know, leave with? What would you want them to know? Yeah. Um, 
I think the biggest thing I would want someone this morning to know from our experiences and what they'd want to take away is, and it's what the Congolese have so taught us, because uh, this is really a partnership. We need them as much or more than they need us. Uh, we both have resources. They have such faith. Um, there is no trauma, abuse, pain that you or I have suffered that's too big for God to heal. There's no evil that we've faced that's too dark for God to redeem. And we say that serving in a place of the worst of the worst. So I, we would really want everyone here to go away this morning with a, a deeper sense of no matter what hard parts are in your story, God, God can and wants to, delights in redeeming that. That's so great. Sesta, what would you say? I would say, don't be afraid. Satan is not just a liar. He's the father of lies and liars. And he's so convincing that we swallow his lies about ourselves, And that happens in abuse because it does shatter our connection with ourself, our body, with our mind and our heart. And it shatters our connections with God and each other. And we would like to encourage you to face whatever those things are in your past, in your life, that maybe you haven't looked at, you haven't disclosed, there's secrets that you carry. Don't be afraid of those. Because as you come together in community and admitting the soul small group, together you will be giving and receiving comfort and you will walk each other through those pieces of your story. And you will discover that we're all the same. And in the end of that journey, on the other side is freedom and hope and more joy than you can imagine. That's so great. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for being here today. Can we say thank you one more time? Um, I love how the fact that you are providing hope in Jesus and healing in Jesus wherever you're at. So whether it's here in Beaverton or whether it's across the world in Congo, you're doing that same thing. Um, can we pray for you guys? Can we pray for your ministry? If you are interested and want to reach out your hand and participate with me in praying, I'd love for you guys to do that with me. Um, so Jesus, we just say thank you for what uh, Stephen and Celeste are doing. We pray for, uh, Lord, their ministry, both locally and internationally, uh, that the influence that they have to help people overcome horrific experiences, um, to find hope and healing on the other side of it. Um, what a way that they're using that their gifts that you have entrusted to them Lord, I pray that we would do those same things, that the way that you've fashioned us and made us, that we would use our experiences and our giftedness to care for those around us. So Lord, I pray that you bless them and encourage them and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.